Welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. My name is Tom, you may know me as the creator of Like Stories of Old, and I'm joined by fellow video essayist Thomas Flight to talk about Aftersun, directed by Charlotte Wells. Before we begin, I want to mention that Cinema of Meaning is a Nebula original podcast, meaning that on Nebula you can listen to all of our episodes ad-free and a week early, and you'll also get access to bonus episodes. Go to nebula.tv slash cinemaofmeaning, or follow the link in the show notes to learn more. Now, back to Aftersun. Thomas, you had this as one of your favorite movies of last year, right? That's right, yes. How uh, did it end up on that list? I think I had it at number two or three, something like that. This was a film I really loved, and I, th- I think one of our most requested movies to talk about recently, there was two or three people on Letterboxd who were asking me that we talk about it on the podcast. Some Several folks in our uh, Discord server were, were mentioning it and asking us to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's one that people are interested to hear about. It's a movie that is very affecting, or at least I found mm. it to be. It's a coming-of-age father-daughter film. Technically, there is a mother in, in this uh this mm-hmm. movie too. There's two mothers. That aside, it's it's a coming of age story, which isn't like my favorite genre. I think coming of age stories can kind of be overplayed. We've seen a ton of them. We've seen a ton of really good ones at this point. So it's not a kind of movie that I go into super excited about most of the time. But this is a de- debut film from writer director Charlotte Wells. And I think what is beautiful about this movie to me is kind of the angle that it comes at this story from both stylistically and in how it frames its narrative. A lot of coming of age stories are a, you know, obviously an adult filmmaker's reflection of growing up Mm -hmm. inherently because mostly we're not getting teenagers making coming of age (laughs) movies. So there's naturally this element of kind of looking back on your life and trying to grapple with or understand or express what you were experiencing at that time from your adult perspective. And I think what's part of what's really fascinating to me about this movie is how it kind of incorporates that perspective into the film itself. There's this very just nostalgic, not even nostalgic, Mm -hmm. but just backward view of the story And it's very much about this kind of process, not just that Sophie is going through in the film, who is the girl who is kind of in the coming of age story, but we're Mm -hmm. also seeing Sophie as an adult and kind of getting a sense that her perspective on these events in her life is kind of evolving as she is becoming an adult and a parent on her own. So we, we really get this sense of like, not just the story that's happening to her as a child, but how that kind of narrative is reframing in her own mind as an adult as she's looking back on these things. So anyway, that's what's really fascinating about it to me. Mm. I'm interested to discuss it. But first, I'm curious what kind of you thought about the film or what your first impressions were. Yeah, I didn't get to see it before I made my best of the year video regrettably because it definitely would have been on there i've seen it twice now and yeah it might also be very high up 
on my list of favorites. I didn't rank my movies, but you know, there's a secret ranking in my mind, and this one, <laughs> right. this one would be high up there. Yeah. I, but it, it's funny that you talk about coming of age stories because that's not what I immediately thought of when I watched this. I right. guess it depends a little bit on how you define coming of age stories. I guess in my mind, the coming of age story is really told from the perspective of a child as they mature into the phase beyond childhood or what you know the the coming of age part that the coming of age title suggests to me this felt more like an adult perspective reflecting back on events in the past and how they shaped the person perhaps that is looking back and structurally it actually reminded me a lot more of movies like uh, the mirror by tarkovsky and to some extent even the tree of life by terence malick yeah which are also these clearly adult perspectives sort of grasping back in their own past to find some kind of meaning, some kind of explanation for how they ended up where they are today. Yes. And I think this movie is more accessible than the the other two that I mentioned, but th- there still is something that feels or that felt very powerful about it to me. Yeah. And also it is something that's very relatable to everyone, basically. I think everyone has had memories like that that are kind of transformed and transformed in our mind and that have us sort of thinking back to what really was and what it all really meant. And there's also just the kind of change in perspective that happens when you grow up and you look back at like the images of your own past, like the literal images, like photographs or the camcorder footage, and you come to realize that, oh, you're now moving into that space that you as a child looked up to as a sort of distant concept of adulthood and so i think that's something that happens in your mid-20s to late 20s where you really feel like you're now moving into a space that you always kind of pushed ahead of you when you were young yeah yeah for example when i was young i used to watch a lot of friends like the the tv show i know yeah and then a couple of years ago i watched it again or like a few episodes of it and then i realized like oh i'm now the same age as both as the actors but also as the characters they play they were even younger i think in the, yeah. the first seasons and so there's a lot of things that as a child you kind of look up to as being in the realm of adulthood and then it's a weird experience to find yourself transitioning into that and then kind of having to come to terms with the reality of it yeah um and the same i think goes with your own like personal memories like uh, there's a few kind of weirdly coincidental parallels between after sun and my own life where not so much like literally but more the externalities like i also went on a holiday to turkey when i was young (laughs) uh, which was i think it was the first time we traveled by airplane and we also stayed at this resort and we had like the same little issues where like there's a booking that didn't go right and there's like these horrible bus rides from places right (laughs) the day trips that you have to get up super early for and the all-inclusive bands and the horrible cheesy animation that's offered by the staff (laughs) this happened a couple of years earlier but when i was uh, even younger my dad had also broken his wrist at some point wow and so there's a lot of camcorder footage of him playing with me while he also has his hand in the cast like yeah. uh, Calum has in this movie. 
which was really funny. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And that also had the same sensation where if I look back a few years ago, I digitalized all the old VHS tapes for my family. Yeah. And I realized like I always knew I kind of looked like my father, but now like seeing him at roughly the same age that I am now, it's yeah, it's really strange to see just how much I look yeah. like him and, and to see like like your, your dad grows gradually older as you right. do so you kind of your frame of reference is constantly shifting but then to kind of have it flip back so dramatically and seeing him in that footage is my age now yeah i don't know there's just something strange about it and that to me is kind of the what this movie touches on most directly that kind of yeah that, that that kind of weird reconciliation with your own past and with your own expectations from when you were young and how like relationships have shifted over time and what it all means and your own perception of those relationships. That's what I was getting at, where I think this does transcend kind of the normal boundaries of a coming-of-age story, and it doesn't really fit into that genre, even though mm. that would be the immediate genre that it would most obviously fall into. And I think there are a lot of those elements here, where you have a young girl who is negotiating. The, a lot of the scenes, a lot of the details are her kind of negotiating the boundaries of her age and her identity. And so this might not follow the normal trajectory of a coming-of-age story. The scope of the film is fairly restricted to this one vacation and then the little bit of context mm -hmm. we get outside of it. But a lot of the scenes are her talking with her dad about he's saying, hey, you can't do that, you're too little. Her kind of figuring out how she feels about her relationship with these older kids, her feeling her way through love interests, like th these kind of stereotypical things that we might see kind of in a coming-of-age story. But then beyond that, there's this other element that you just described so wonderfully, which is, well, there's two things that I think break this out of that coming-of-age mold. That's there, but then beyond it, you have what you just talked about. Mm -hmm. It's a almost a second coming of age that I feel like happens in adulthood, which is all the things you just described of at a certain point, I think for a lot of adults, it might happen when you have a kid and then you look at that kid and you realize, oh, my parents were just people like me when they were raising mm. me. And that sparks this realization for people, recontextualizing your own understanding of your parents and being a child as an adult. But I think it can happen without having a kid just getting older and yeah, seeing definitely. images from your past or having certain experiences just being an adult for long enough kind of makes you look back on your childhood differently or your parents differently or or mm. any number of these things so it's also about that kind of transition that happens in adulthood i think the other thing that breaks this out of the sort of little tropes of coming of age is we really deeply get a kind of sympathetic view. Callum, the dad, is just as much a fleshed out character as Sophie, as the, mm -hmm. as the child is. And they kind of share equal space in this, in this movie, in this story. She's obviously the main character, but I think he's really well fleshed out and we kind of understand what he's going through as well, or we don't fully understand it, but we get a good yeah. look into that. That's a big part of, of where that feeling comes from of like, you know, the moment we're inside of perspective wise, 
within the main storyline is kind of from Sophie's perspective mostly. But there's also this feeling that we're getting like this broader understanding mm -hmm. of Callum that Sophie is only really gaining as an adult now. And I think that was yeah. really interesting. Or at least that she's trying to construct trying to, about yes. it. Because I think that the kind of the, the premise of the story is that we have this adult version of Sophie who's kind of reaching back into her past reconcile in yeah. a way with a dad that's no longer in her life. I think that's what it said on IMDb. It's not that explicitly told in the movie. As the movie progresses, there's a definite sense that he's no longer a part of her, her life, life or yeah. uh, might not even be alive at all yeah. anymore. And so that that to me was one of the more fascinating aspects that it's, we get to see this image of Calum, Calum, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, the father. Yeah. But you never get a true sense. You always feel like, is this a real image that we're seeing or is this Sophie trying to fill in the blanks of her own understanding of yeah. things? Because we're looking back, like to me, it felt like there were three sources of information. We had direct VHS footage, which, which feels like the most objective footage right. that we get. We get what feel like to be the more objective memories. Like these are more traditionally filmed but these are the mostly the scenes with sophie remembering the memories that she was a part of like the, the scenes yeah. that she as a young version of herself were was in and then there's kind of the more imaginative or creative shots of uh, mostly specifically of the father without sophie being present and these to me felt like imaginative or like the most unreliable in the sense of like are these yeah. giving us true information or are these suggesting Sophie thinks about or is trying to understand her yeah. father. That combination I really liked that because that feels very true to real life in my sense where you kind of you have these snippets of the past that you say saved in like these objective artifacts like uh, footage of uh, VHS footage of photographs. Like for me there's whole vacations of my childhood that I don't remember if it wasn't for like the pictures Photos I still have in yeah, a photo yeah. album. And even then, like, we have, like, little trips, like a weekend away to to Belgium or whatever. And that I literally have no recollection of, even if I'm staring at the photos, it feels like, it almost yeah. feels like you're staring at someone else's, um, yeah, someone else's history. But that's something that, especially as I've grown a little bit older, that I've, not something I'm struggling with, but it's something that I've been fascinated by, the way you're just... You're not just experiencing a lot more, but you're also forgetting. You're starting to forget yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah. Which even if you have like pictures and uh, mementos, it's still, you're, you realize the memory, the actual memories are getting really blurry. And yeah. Yeah. I wonder to what extent also maybe pictures help or maybe even like drive you not just to actually recollect the memory, but instead like almost replace memories with more imaginations yeah yeah like i'm not sure about you but when you visualize memories do you see it as kind of this objective image through your own eyes like you're watching old gopro footage that your eyes <laughs> yeah, shot yeah, yeah. when you were you know <laughs> or is it more like for me it feels like these more sporadic images they don't feel like i it, i'm literally seeing through my own eyes it feels like i'm kind of constructing yeah. this mental image of what's a place or a time yeah. was like, and it doesn't feel like a direct stream of experience, so to say. Yeah. 
it depends on what the memory is for me. There are certain very visceral mm-hmm. memories that I, I kind of do have a kind of first-person perspective memory of, but those are rare. And also, interestingly, to your point, those are generally memories where I wouldn't have any kind of photo, hmm. anything like that, of the event itself. It's just like me on my own or, yeah, there would be no reinforcing material surrounding that memory. But then there are other memories where I think at one point I would have had a more visceral direct memory of it, but kind of over time, the photos supersede the the memories themselves. A really clear example of this is there for a while, I remember when I was younger, I had Mm -hmm. memories from one of my really early birthdays. It was like my second birthday or something like that but i had memories of like sitting in a high chair and like eating cake and there being like these little construction vehicles like digger vehicles Mm. in my like cake icing i had like direct memories of that i don't have those memories anymore but i remember a having those memories even though i don't have the memories anymore But there's also photos of that event. And so now, like, I can recollect that birthday, but it's from a very abstract, like, oh, I know details of what was happening. Mm. Like, it's filed away in my history that happened to Thomas. It's no longer an experiential memory. It's a really trippy part of, I think, aging that you realize as you get older that, that that's something that just happens, that there's just a certain amount of data of experience from the past that will just kind of slip into the fog. Yeah. I guess you could be sad and kind of like kick and scream against that, but there's a certain mm-hmm. element of just like realizing that and kind of having to accept it as as an adult, I think. That's interesting. Yeah, for me too, it's that and also the way memory is constructed as not as this direct, okay, you looked at something now we save that exact image to right. memory and that's gonna be like a, an exact copy but it's more like it feels like the way maybe like smartphones take pictures now they don't take a literal picture but they immediately do a lot of computing and right right compression uh, and processing yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like the weird thing is i have like it feels like i have memories of myself in third person as well like that yeah even though i know that's obviously not how exactly it happened but that's right I have a memory that vacation I took to Turkey, like there was one day I remember where I was kind of wandering around the edges of the resort that we were staying. And it was like this little guard dog that they had, not like a big threatening one, but like a little small one that nevertheless was, I think it was one of the security guards or something. And he started chasing me. And so I was running away, but I remember at some point I just kind of turned around. I looked at the dog and it stopped barking and it walked (laughs) off. Yeah, And I I think the reason I remember this is because I thought at the time that, oh, maybe it saw my face and it knew that I was a guest here. So and that's why he backed off. And I was impressed by this dog. This was my like 10-year-old yeah. child logic. That this dog <laughs> would memorize all the guests that would, be, <laughs> that would stay at the hotel and then know who to leave alone and who to chase after. Yeah. But, but for some reason, like that part of that memory, I in my mind, it's like I see myself running in third person right. for like a split second or something even though i know that that's obviously not actual memory yeah that to me captures a lot of the the intricacies that this movie 
even just as a on its on its basic presentation level already yes. presents and which already makes it so rich and fascinating for yeah. me and also personal in a way that I think for a lot of people was also very personal. Yeah, I think that's part of why it's so powerful is we're having this whole discussion about memory, but there's there's never ever in the film itself kind of this explicit acknowledgement of this is about memory. They don't talk about memory. None of this. It's all just communicated through kind of this stylistic presentation that sort of constructs this feeling of fragmented memories. Your comparison to Malik was pretty apt in that this is a very, like, narratively very impressionistic in that we know what's going on. It's not like the scenes themselves are necessarily abstract. We can tell, like, oh, they're sitting down for a, a meal now and they're having a conversation. But what's stripped away is all the stuff that we're used to from a lot of conventional Hollywood films where it's like, here's an establishing shot. This is what the scene's going to be. And they're sort of like an arc within the scene itself. And then we complete that. It's much closer to kind of what we're used to with a filmmaker like Malick, mm -hmm. where you just get a few shots or a piece of a scene that's just a detail about what's happening or a piece of dialogue or a small detail and then it cuts to the next thing and it's kind of in mm -hmm. how all of those things are strung together that we start to build this understanding of not just like the plot of the film and that the events that are explicitly happening but the feelings what's happening dramatically to the characters the feelings they're having is all kind of built up slowly over time through your sense of what was relevant to the character in these in these memories. Like, mm -hmm. why are these specific fragments the ones that are being recalled by the character? It reminds me a lot of kind of the structure and style of Joanna Hogg's souvenir as well. And there's other filmmakers who do this, but... I think it works so well here because you it's about me, like it's a movie about memory and so constructing it in that way mm. you just get this sense of it and then even within the scene you already you already pointed out the stylistic differentiation between the scenes that have Sophie and don't there's also it's not just what scenes were shown that gives it this fragmentary feeling but also kind of how some of these moments are shot you know instead of getting the most obvious kind of direct interpretation of the scene in terms of cinematography we're just seeing small we might get small sensory details or things that mm -hmm. might not seem obviously relevant but in a lot of ways that's also kind of how our memory tends to construct these pieces where we might have this sense of like, oh, I remember that person giving me a coin to to put into the the machine, or I I remember when I was having this kiss more viscerally than the kiss itself. I remember the kids like banging on the skylight above me. Like those those are the things that become yeah kind of lodged in our memory, and that's sort of how the how the film is focusing its attention yeah it, it feels like a very backwards style of storytelling instead of like saying i'm gonna tell this story and now i'm gonna think of the scenes and how they progress into each other 
And this feels more like, I think you described it in one of your old videos on Terrence Malick as where the camera is sort of searching for meaning instead of already having a premeditated purpose or meaning in mind that it's communicating instead. Like this whole movie to me felt like Sophie reaching back into this part of her past, like this memory of this vacation in search of clues or meanings or moments of significance that might reveal more about her father, essentially. Yeah. I feel like that's the kind of central, there, there were the other things as well that you mentioned with the other kids and um, the more coming of age stuff. But for me, like that felt like the central gaze of the movie, like it was searching through this pre-established memory, but it was now like it was a completely irrelevant memory or it seemed like one at the time and it's recorded as such. But now, like later in life to her, it feels significant in a way that she doesn't fully understand and that she wants to reach back into and to find that understanding, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I, I really like that. I just really like that kind of filmmaking. It feels like pure cinema in a way also, in the sense that it I can't see any other medium handle these kinds of memory questions as as well as film can with yeah. the way it, it can construct visually and can kind of cut back and forth in time and between the real and the imagined and that sort of stuff. Maybe let's get more specifically into the journey that Sophie goes on or the actual, the sort of quest, I guess, that's present in this movie. Because if we take that premise that this is adult Sophie looking back into her past to find some understanding about who her father was or maybe what he was struggling with, that caused her to or caused him to not be in her life anymore like what's your your initial take on what happened there what was the father like what was he struggling with and what do you think happened after the vacation yeah if you haven't had a chance yet to check out after some no worries it's showing exclusively on mubi in many countries including the uk italy latin america and many others. As you probably already know, Mubi is an online streaming service showing hand-picked exceptional films from around the globe that both Thomas and I are big fans of. Besides Aftersun, they have an extensive library that is great both for newcomers wanting to explore the richness of cinema, as well as for the veteran cinephiles in search for hidden gems. Every film is carefully selected, so you just know you're always going to be watching something special. As a friend of the podcast, Mubi kindly agreed to sponsor this episode. Which is why we can happily offer you 30 days of Mubi for free by going to mubi.com slash cinemaofmeaning or by just following the link in the show notes. So be sure to claim your extended free trial to watch Aftersun and to start exploring some good cinema. Now back to the show. All of this you kind of piece together as you're going, but he mm-hmm. seems like he is currently struggling. At first, you get the sense that maybe there was something in his past that he was struggling with. And then kind of as it progresses, you get the sense that he's still kind of very much presently struggling with. Most likely, depression seems to be the best clues that we get. You mean present in the memory or in, in the, the yes, holiday? Yeah, yeah, in the holiday. There's, I think one of the pivotal scenes is one where... Sophie is laying on the bed upside down and her dad asks her if she's okay. 
and she mm-hmm. kind of starts talking about this feeling that she has in her bones that essentially in my mind describes what depression feels like or symptoms of depression his response to this is basically he's unable to engage in it but then we're also seeing him kind of off to the side in the mirror and he spits on his own reflection with tooth he's brushing his teeth or something uh, i think Mm -hmm. and he's just kind of like come on let's go let's go have some fun or or go you know they leave and they go do something else but that's kind of one of the, the central clues we get there. And then there's a lot of other details. But to me, mm-hmm. it, it, it seems like he's obviously someone who has struggled with, you know, depression, possibly substance uh, abuse related to that or alcoholism. There's talk of drugs later on. And yep. he's kind of when we see him during the vacation, he's sort of really struggling to try to overcome this and grapple with this and be there and be present as a father. He has books on Tai Chi. He's doing Tai Chi outside. Uh, He has Mm -hmm. a book about meditation that's kind of sitting there. So we see these clues that he's kind of like at this place where he's, he's trying to get a handle on things. He's trying to get a grip on things. He has like no inner peace. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's he has no inner peace, but he's also like desperately fighting to like gain some and hold on to it. And he's and he's struggling with his past. There's stuff about his birthday, which is kind of triggering to him. He tells this story. So we know there's like, you know, a, abusive history or or bad history with his family or just details there that, mm-hmm. you know, are are kind of triggering to him. Yeah. And he talked about not feeling like he belonged in the place he grew up. Yes. He's, he was originally from Scotland, but I think they now lived somewhere else. Yeah. England or, yeah. So you have that. And then I think like kind of the climactic tension or drama that we're seeing within the film is this. And I think this is this is what relates to sort of the detail of Sophie, old Sophie being a parent now is mm-hmm. what Callum is really kind of struggling with is this sense of trying to get a handle on these things and wanting to have a handle on those things so he can be there for his daughter. But the ways in which he's failing at that really like kicks into gear this like sense of self-loathing or or something that's happening internally in him or just a feeling of like lack of being in control and that was kind of what was really resonating with me would be like the the deep sorrow and also anger that you might feel as a parent if you had struggled all your life with severe depression or something like that. And then you had your own kid and you still are and you're still like desperately trying to work through this. And then your own child is laying there on the bed like describing what that feels like to you and you'd just be like, oh no, my kid who I love is going to be doomed to grapple with this terrible thing that I've been dealing with. But because I'm mm-hmm. still grappling with it, like I can't even be there to provide the solution or answers to that scenario. That was kind of my read on like what the central tension is. I don't know if, if you felt mm-hmm. the same way or, or have anything. I had a few thoughts that 
were just my interpretation of what happened. Yeah. Just to put it out there directly, like as far as I'm concerned, I like I thought he killed himself at some point. I, I did. I did think some, that as well too. Yeah. There's some shots that suggest an eventual suicide. Like there's one shot of Callum standing on the balcony with on like the railing. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the later, the more obvious shot of him diving into the ocean and apparently not coming out as the, you have this interesting sound effect where the waves or the sound of the waves, it grows like yeah. louder and louder and louder. And to me, that reminded me of that shot in Dunkirk where you have a similar moment where like this desperate soldier just walks into the ocean and disappears. That to me hinted at eventual, at least at suicidal thoughts or yeah. an actual suicide that might have occurred later in Sophie's life or and later in his life, I guess. There was a brief moment where I actually thought that might be happening watching it the first time. I was like, is he, yeah. is he you know, just walking into the ocean? I had the same thing yeah bracing myself for it to be like a really brutal movie it still yeah. is it still is very heavy but it doesn't quite go go all the way there yeah for a second i th had the same feeling like did he just leave sophie there in turkey as he yeah. wandered off into the ocean but yeah i feel it, i'm kind of glad it was a metaphorical shot but I, I think it still suggests at the like it was sophie's imagining her father's struggles with suicidal thoughts during yes. that vacation yeah, I also yeah. think there were hints at his struggle with his sexuality. We see Sophie is explicitly revealed as a lesbian or a gay woman. She's in a yeah. relation with another woman. So to me, that was really interesting if, because there's some hints in the vacation too. There's Caleb. He, he kind of lives up when he's talking with that other guy on the boat who fixes his flipper or something. That's for me, at least the one time where you see him kind of not enthusiastic but more right. engaged in conversation with someone yeah. who is not sophie and there's a little i'm not sure if that was intentional but it feels like there's a itsy bitsy tiny like freudian slip where he the moment he's talking to sophie about you know he says something along the lines of are you gonna go to parties meet boys do drugs and then at the end of it says he says like i've done it all and then it's oh, right. you know yeah, it yeah. seems to refer to like the drugs part, but he does yeah. mention it might be like a throwaway yeah, thing yeah. or little detail. But and that's that I think there was a moment where Sophie does see two other guys make out at some point. Yes. Uh, where at first I also thought that that might be her father because one of the guys was kind of in the shadows. Right. Now I don't think that it, I think they were just two yeah. unrelated guys, yeah. but the sexuality question is kind of, does feel like it's kind of planted yeah. throughout and that might of course be sophie struggling with her own sexuality and maybe not directly also being uh, her father's struggle right but at the same time i the other interpretation that i think is just as interesting is this that she doesn't know anything about her father's sexuality but besides him just being probably being straight as this is kind of the, the norm but that, that she's kind of projecting it onto him in order to find something to lash onto like oh yes she knows like she obviously or probably right. struggled with her sexuality at some point and so she might imagine that her father could have been going through the same thing even yeah. though she didn't know it which would explain some of his depression or some of his uh, issues that he had during that vacation or generally in his life there's a lot of imagery of reflection, mirrors. We see 
them in television screens and kind of like Caleb and Sophie reflected together. And so I think there's obviously a scene there of at least or a theme throughout the film of at least grappling with to what extent is Sophie a reflection of him and what Mm -hmm. are the similarities and what are the differences. And so I I definitely can see that as a theme. There's also Mm a, obviously the father isn't with Sophie's mother anymore and we don't know why we never get those details, but it seems like their separation was very amicable in a way. Sophie asked at one point why they say I love you to each other. So there's some history there in terms of their separation Mm -hmm. that is more complicated than just they didn't like each other or something like that. We don't get quite all the details enough to, I think, fill in this kind of sense of objectively what was going on, Mm -hmm. but we definitely get a lot of impressions of different things that might be his own struggle. Yeah. And one thing I also thought was really interesting, I'm not curious to hear what you thought about it, is there's this scene where they visit this carpet store. Yes. And then the carpet is super expensive, like 850 pounds, which I think is a lot. Uh, And then there's later a memory where the father goes back on his own to actually buy one. And there's this kind of weird scene where he's at first he's kind of seen sleeping his head at the side of the, like a stack of carpets. And then he buys one and he just lays down on top of it. I'm pretty sure that's also the same carpet that we later see in Sophie's Sophie's, apartment as an adult. Yeah. But at the same time, there's this kind of through line of Caleb not having any money to spend, basically, that he's, you know, he's, Sophie asks him about a kind of business idea that he's setting up and it he, he's kind of wishy-washy about it like he has an idea but he hasn't figured it out and it kind of feels very vague there's that moment where the other kids have these all-inclusive wristbands and yeah. that they clearly don't have so they which to me suggested that they were there at like a lower tier of guests like right. one of the cheaper rooms with, without full access to the bar and everything there's that moment at the end where Sophie does the karaoke and then the father is like, oh, we should get you singing lessons. And Sophie kind of laments in for, you know, stop spending money that you don't have. Yeah, yeah. All that had me questioning, like, did he actually buy the carpet for Sophie? Or is that maybe Sophie's imagination again, trying to like imagine what it was like if her father had bought it for her? Or did he literally buy it for her? But is she now just realizing like at what actual cost that came? Like, that she's just now as an adult realizing that he sacrificed like so much money for uh, what is essentially like a luxury item, even though he's struggling at like the base level of his being. Like maybe that was a part of his struggles, that he was just really bad with money. I'm not sure if that's something that caught your attention or... Yeah, well, I I noticed the rug stuff and the, the themes about money. And I think my read was mostly just, yeah, I think he's not he wasn't responsible with it and didn't know yeah he's just kind of stuck in this place of not i i read it i read it kind of as he buys it for himself and then she ends up with it at the end but it was it's also mm-hmm. kind of he sits up there for a long time looking at it it feels like he's really kind of mulling over whether or not to buy it i think it's also just an extension of this weird way in which he's or not that weird but this way in which he's kind of grasping for finding meaning 
in whatever he kind of whatever he can where he falls in love with kind of you know basically a piece of art essentially i mean it's a it has utility but he kind of falls in love mm -hmm. with it to the point where he spends a lot of time looking at it while sophie is off doing something else and then he comes back to get it i don't know what the specific meaning is there but obviously like sophie has i think that's one of the points of tension maybe where there's frustration looking back on things with how he was behaving, not just in the kind of uh, leaving her abandoned the one night. That's the thing he does that's most explicitly sort of like bad mm -hmm. or or hurtful to her. Yeah. He also doesn't do the karaoke and kind of is maybe from her perspective is saying things that are a little bit mean. But outside of those, he's being pretty, he's not doing anything that is kind of explicitly wrong necessarily like at least that we see in the context of the vacation except for maybe just yeah. being like not very responsible with money you know just kind of being yeah he is trying yeah he is trying concerned about the sunscreen and yes he's kind of he's very protective of sophie generally and yeah. he just feels like he's coming up a bit short at certain moments but then he also immediately apologizes for it like he's not being toxic towards her he's no. like he knows like whatever issues he has are kind of taking place within his own interiority and so he knows uh I, I feel like he has a good sense like whenever he lets his issues affect sophie that he knows when that line has been crossed and that's when he apologizes and that's maybe also why sophie has that sensation that there's like some inner struggle that her father is occasionally revealing like a glimpse of, and then uh, which now as a as an adult kind of struggling to get a sense of what exactly that was. Yeah, but th yeah. there's a lot of a few other details like that. That's the one I I'm not sure what it was about. Where they go visit like this bath thing. Yeah, and Callum has like this injury on his shoulder suddenly, like this scrape, which they kind of make a point of of mentioning. But I'm I didn't catch anything about what happened there or what that was supposed to mean or... I think that was just the day after he was off on his own for a long time and kind of yeah. blackout drunk. So either he knows where he got it and he's lying about or he's just lying and saying he doesn't know or he literally doesn't remember because he just roughed up somehow the night, the night before mm. while he was... Because he like... We see him walk into the ocean yeah. and then... We and then Sophie eventually finds her way back into the room. She's stuck outside without a room key for a while. She she gets back in, and then he's just laying there like naked on the bed. And we have no mm -hmm. idea what happens between those those two things. Yeah. So I think it was just something that happened in there that that we never yeah made a little uh, or a little metaphor for kind of the self harm or that he's yeah. that he was engaged in some self wounding yeah. act behavior that is physically yeah. harmful to himself and and mentally probably as well yeah and mentally yeah let's move towards the ending then maybe i think or unless you had more to, i feel like we're we've covered pretty much the yeah the, the meat of the story i was feeling ready to move that direction anyway because one connection i wanted to make and maybe this will move mm -hmm. us into in that direction is i think what you described as kind of being the sympathetic view we get of the father as being He's stuck in his own problems to some degree, and he has these things that he's dealing with, and there's a certain behavior that he exhibits 
that is kind of inappropriate towards or irresponsible as a father. But then, like you said, he apologizes and he does seem to be really trying there. It doesn't treat him in its gaze for the most part as a hostile entity. It treats him in like a kind of loving, sympathetic way. And that leads us towards sort of this climactic moment where there's this realm, I, I guess I'll call it. Yeah. There's a dance floor with strobing lights that mm -hmm. to my mind doesn't, I think, exist in reality. It's sort of this metaphorical space within yeah, exactly. memory. Yeah. And there's a there's a there's a scene where Sophie and the father dance together on the vacation. And this is intercut with a scene of adult Sophie dancing with the father. And that's kind of cuts back and forth between the strobing dance floor and this real or quote unquote real dance that happens on the vacation. What was your take on kind of that stuff and then how sort of the movie yeah. concludes? I found that to be a really emotionally moving scene, even though I did not initially or directly understand what happens, but right. I felt the way the movie does something, does a lot of things uh, or interesting things with its sound design as well. And here too, we have, I think it's under pressure from Queen, if I'm not mistaken, which is the song that's playing, but it's kind of warped and remixed at certain moments. But yeah, I think I, I had a hard time to kind of make out what exactly was happening in the, let's call it the metaphorical space, the the dance floor with the strobing lights because it was just so strobing yeah yeah so so much uh, strobing going on i felt like it was a simultaneous outpouring of anger that she may have felt like a, a sort of combination of anger and grief like why did you leave me or why are you you know basically that why did you leave me i think is what it comes down to while simultaneously trying to hold on to him which yeah. We see especially in the, the real dance sequence where she ends up embracing him. and But in the metaphorical space, it feels like she's ultimately unable to. She kind of pushes him off and he falls down. And we see the strobing image of adult Sophie. And then it quickly cuts into young Sophie smiling. Yeah. So that I'm not, I'm not sure if, the, if it's supposed to have like this intellectual breakdown of this shot means this and now it right. means this. But... For me, like the emotion at the heart of it was more the simultaneous kind of trying to push away because, you know, there's hurt and grief and pain there while also trying to hold on to the good things and the love and yeah. the connection and just that tension, the kind of that struggle is to me yeah. was uh, what that scene was about. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think the clearest thing conveyed there is the emotion and what I found so impactful about that, I think, was how it conveyed and then kind of held the complexity of emotion that exists or it feels like exists in this where mm -hmm. it's not just, oh, he was a bad dad. I'm mad at him. You know, I don't want anything to do with him or oh, I forgive you, everything's good, you know, I love you, it's all just fine, I just, it's like all of those things are kind of coexisting at once in this fragmented mess, and there's not really a resolution mm. to that. It just kind of has, those things just kind of have to exist and be there. And yeah, I just love how that was conveyed 
emotionally yeah. and visually. And I think it speaks to such such a reality of emotion in the real world that films all often have a difficulty of kind of conveying because most movies, you know, they progress towards a specific emotional beat that yeah. often is very clear in in its specific kind of emotion like oh you feel sad now or you feel excited in victory or or something mm -hmm. so i'm i'm always interested whenever a filmmaker can make me feel like two or three different things at once and then just like leave them all on the table yeah but then we also see after that scene there's a little bit of a scene where they are separating at some kind of travel i don't know if it's an airport or bus station mm -hmm. or something sophie's walking off callum is recording with the videotape kind of her leaving then it cuts to present day sophie with that same video recorder watching this footage which we already saw hints to earlier but this kind of shows yeah, us. yeah she that she's explicitly watching the the vhs tape that the scene the previous yeah. scene just cut on yeah and i think that's where we see that she has the rug as well she has this VHS tape, which was left in his hand. Like, it wasn't her VHS tape recorder. It was his. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of cuts back to him standing there. We see him, and he turns around and walks down this hallway, this very weird sort of empty hallway. And at the end of it mm -hmm. are doors, and he goes through them. And on the other side of the doors is that dance floor with the, the strobing lights. And that, to me, was were the biggest indicators that he's dead we don't know exactly what happened or when but mm -hmm. it very much seems like he's separated somehow into another space and like that yeah. version of him is exists in that liminal space whatever it is and now real world sophie has his stuff like the the recorder and the the rug so it's it seems pretty clear that like something happened mm -hmm. kind of separating them yeah yeah, I thought the same. I, I liked, initially I thought that if it would not have been better if the movie ended on, because you have the, you go from the dance scene to VHS footage of Sophie at right. the travel place. And then there's a freeze frame where she kind of, there's a last smile before she disappears out of sight. And that's where the VHS pauses. And I initially thought that maybe that was going to be the ending, the final shot. Yeah. But then, yeah, you get this it kind of pans towards the right and you can, right. the camera pans around and then it's revealed that the freeze frame is actually on the TV and the TV is actually being watched by Sophie. Then it kind of even further and it hits this white wall which then transitions into the white wall that marks the hallway that you mentioned and we get the, the imagined shot of her father then kind of just ending the videotape, putting his camera away and walking away as you said. Yeah, I, I just liked... The way that was constructed, that we yes. get this simultaneous, the captured memory, like the objective reality, the present day reality, and then a sort of imagined reality. And then that little hint at the end with the, the completely detached space. It's sort of all in one there. But yeah, as to, I, I'm not sure if I have anything to add on it, to what you just said about it. It does feel like that, as you said, like he's now out of this realm into that other space that's where yeah. he exists and she only has the artifacts of what he left behind like the camera and maybe also in that final shot like the intention of what he was trying to why he had that camera in the first place like why right. was he 
filming her and maybe what was he trying to capture for himself and maybe she imagines that maybe that like that final shot is then what he brought along with him as he went away into the strobing light yeah. space i'm not sure where exactly this was in the movie there's a shot at some point of a postcard that's yes. from her dad to sophie and that says something that uh no matter what happens i will always love you or something in yeah. that direction to me may have suggested that there is at least some consolation that whatever her dad was going through at least sophie was not a burden but actually like a point of hope or a kind of a point of light for right. him instead of like that if anything that sophie made him hold on longer than he would have if she had not existed yeah. which i think that's a small comfort there in yeah. in that ending yeah I'm, i wasn't sure what exactly the context of that was that shot of the postcard comes immediately after a shot of him sitting on the bed sobbing it's hard to place exactly where those are supposed to be happening in time because they happen i think like right before the dance or after it it either way it's it, they're like interspersed towards the end where the vacation is kind of coming to an end it doesn't seem like those shots are happening within the linear narrative of the vacation narrative so i don't know mm -hmm. if those were from earlier maybe the po yeah i it, it's hard to tell exactly what that might be but we at least get the feeling of that yeah and i don't think i could expound on that beyond what you said mm -hmm. it's it's a nice ambiguous ending in that you have enough clues i think to to piece together kind of the details of probably what happened but you also get a little bit of that unresolved feeling that certainly sophie would be carrying in this situation uh, mm -hmm. And I think it balances those things really well, kind of in how it comes together at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's also the point to have that ambiguity that kind of to show that maybe whatever is unresolved in the past will probably be unresolved forever. Yeah. Like it would, like in a more conventional story, that was, this would probably have ended with Sophie discovering some distinct clue that would... You know, sort sort of like you know, Interstellar. Not to spoil it, but there's that moment at the end where she finds the watch of her father. Right. It's like this yeah. distinct and and like definitive revelation about <laughs> right. yeah. the nature of her relation to her father or what her father felt about him. Now that I think of it, there's actually a pretty strong parallel <laughs> between <laughs> these two movies in that sense. But with the difference being that this is a more obviously a more realistic take where there isn't that moment of explicit catharsis or explicit revelation and so she's just has to do with what she's given like the little pieces and kind of construct her own narrative and then have that be enough or find some way to be at peace with that and i yeah. really liked it i um, to me that's what made it feel more true to life and more emotionally complex and engaging and yeah i've seen it i've seen it twice now and i'm still i have not been able to really like shake it off even yeah. though i've seen other movies in between this is one that's still lingering uh quite a bit it was one i watched it again yesterday right before we recorded this but i really wouldn't have had to because i think my experience of it the first time even though i watched the first time i watched it was over a month ago and i've watched a bunch of movies in between it, it was so kind of visceral in sort of 
how it affected me or like how it lingered with me that it's one of those movies you just it stops and then you kind of carry it and its implications out of the experience of watching the movie and at least for me it really provokes kind of thinking about a lot of the things we discussed in the first half of this this episode about how you relate to your own past, your own parents, or your own memories, just the nature of the complexity of emotions we deal with when we look back on those things. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoy the show and want to help us keep it going, be sure to follow us on our creator-owned streaming service, Nebula. Cinema of Meaning is a Nebula original show, meaning that here you can experience our podcast ad-free, listen to all of our episodes a week early, and get instant access to all of our monthly bonus episodes. Last month, that was James Cameron's Avatar 2, The Way of Water. Before that, we've also covered the new All Quiet on the Western Front, Upstream Color, Alien Covenant, Drive, and many others. So you're really getting a whole new catalog of episodes. You can sign up directly at our Nebula page, that's nebula.tv slash cinemaofmeaning, or just follow the link in the show notes. And we'll see you again next time.